Well, it's not very often that you get the opportunity to kind of have express last words. These are very like unique moments that we get in relationships, right? Um, but whenever you get them, you want to make them count. And so I had one of these opportunities. Um, this is about a year and a half ago where I had my, this opportunity to share last words, all right? So I'd served on a staff for about six years before we came and started Storyline Church. And it was my last week on staff there. Last week as a staff pastor over this church, and we had announced that we were going to be leaving to start Storyline Church literally months ahead of time, and so this time had be, had, was one that I had wrestled with, that I thought through for quite some time. It's last week, last sermon that I get to share with this church before we leave to St. Louis to start Storyline Church, and so this is a church that, man, we loved a lot, lots of dear friends that we created there. Lots of wrestling with new moments in our life. Literally two of the four children that we have were birthed in this church. Lots of meals that came with it. Lots of great highs and lows that we experienced with these friends, these church members. And so, man, I just wanted to get this thing right, you know? So lots of conversations with my wife, Cherish. Lots of writing down notes, things that I wanted to say. And so I, I get up and I'm just a weeping mess, y'all. And whenever I stand up and I give, deliver this last sermon, I'm just a weeping mess in front of them, sharing, pouring my heart out with them, just hoping that like a piece of me would be left with them. You know what I'm saying? All I could really give them were words especially whenever I was just like preaching to a camera because it was in the middle of COVID. So it's like I'm pouring out my heart to this camera, just hoping that people will somehow, some way, just get a little piece of me left before we leave. And so as we're doing this, man, I'm pouring out my heart in the midst of all these tears. I wanted my final words to count. They weren't spontaneous words. They weren't words that were just flippant. No, they were thoughtful, considerate, intentional words. And we should think no different of Jesus' final words whenever he was with his disciples here on earth. So just before Jesus' ascension, right before he's about to go to heaven to be with his father, be seated down at the right hand of God, Jesus leaves his disciples with these final words. And these are words that he's likely wrestled with, likely words that he's thought a lot about. And we get these words at the very end of Matthew 28. And what are the words? It's the Great Commission, the thing that Christ leaves with his church. And here's what he says, verses 18, 18 through 20. He says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. What a big statement, right? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then what presides from that? What, what proceeds after what he says? He says this, go therefore, since all authority has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So you've walked with me for three and a half years. You've seen all that has happened in my life, all the events that have taken place, how I've treated people, how I've loved people, everything that I've taught you. Teach to these other people as well. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. These weren't haphazard words that Jesus shared with his disciples. Rather, they're calculated words. These are words that he wants his disciples to 
Like he doesn't want it just to go in one ear and then out the other. No, he wants it to like be in their head, but deep down in their hearts as well. They're the last things he wanted them to hear before he leaves them physically for heaven. And Jesus' disciples, they took them seriously, didn't they? I mean, they took him seriously. You see them go, they literally lay down their lives for Jesus. They go and they share the good news with people literally to the ends of the earth. And look, I want us to be a church that takes Jesus' last word seriously too. That's why we're doing this series, Culture Makers. This is how we've developed, we've put together our core values, that we initiate relationships with all people, that we grow in maturity together. And then tonight, I want us to consider that we are a church that multiplies to multiply. We multiply to multiply. We make disciples who make disciples who then plant churches. That's what I believe God's call is for us as a church that we make disciples, we take up this with seriousness, that we find people that we, as we initiate relationships with them, as we step into relationships and we grow in maturity together, that we take with sincerity Jesus' final words, that we make disciples, and then they make disciples, and then we strategically plant churches throughout the city that so desperately needs the gospel. So tonight, I want us to look at a passage, the passage that we just read that helps us consider this third core value that we multiply to multiply. The Apostle Paul is writing to his apprentice, Timothy. This is a guy that he has spent a lot of time with, literally calls him the son in the faith. And Paul is leaving him with a final letter, a finally earthly letter, his final words to Timothy, his apprentice. And in this last letter, Paul gives Timothy these final instructions, including the process of making disciples. And so there's two things specifically in this process that Paul leaves within these two little verses that I want us to wrestle with tonight, all right? This is going to help us think through how we multiply to multiply, that we are a church that takes multiplication seriously. So let's look at verse two, the very first part of it. We're going to find our very first point. I'll share it here in a second, but let's read the, the verse again to refresh our minds, all right? So here's what it says. Well, you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, Commit to faithful men. Now, in a matter of just a few words, Paul gives Timothy a lot here, all right? So the first thing that he, he shares with, with Timothy is, hey, the what? Here's what you're to share with these other people. You're to share the truth of Jesus. When Paul says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, what he's saying is, I've shared the goodness of Jesus in front of you and many others on multiple occasions, this has been my life, this has been my rhythm, this has been my ministry. You've been at my side as I've done this, Timothy. And so as I've stood up and I've shared the goodness of Jesus, this is the very same thing that you're to do too. And then he shares who he's to share the goodness of the gospel with. And he says, faithful men. I wanna come back to this here in a second. So hold on to that one. But most importantly for us tonight, all right, here's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Here's what he's saying to us. He says, Paul, Paul tells Timothy, basically, you, like you, make disciples. You, you make disciples, all right? So if there's anything that I learned in Shirley English growing up when it came to, English, when it came to grammar, that when Paul puts here commit, there's an understood you there, right? There's an understood you that Paul places here when he says commit to faithful men. He's saying, Timothy, you, you are the one 
to make disciples. I'm not coming back to you to do this. Timothy, this is your job. This is what you do. You make disciples. You commit to faithful men what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Literally, like you deposit it. You're passing off the faith to them. You're leaving. You're entrusting this good news with these men that you are to devote your life to. This is what discipleship looks like. It's the first step in the process of being a church that makes disciples, that you, you make disciples. This is the call on every Christian's life. This is something that if you have placed faith in Christ, that now the ministry of your life is that you go out and you make disciples. You devote yourself, you devote your life to making disciples of Jesus Christ. You multiply, you pass on the faith, you help others learn and figure out what it looks like to live this life that we have in Jesus, all right? So I, the, as I was working through just wrestling with this, this past week I had a pastor that um, I had shared a story with me. I found it in some of the like notes that I keep for a sermon development process. And so um, as I'm reading through these notes, this story just kind of pops out to me, all right? So um, this is a pretty large church that he works with. And so um, he, they have a lot of like monthly metrics that they put together, right? So they have like all these dashboards and things of how they're measuring, how they're doing in certain ministries in the life of their church. And so he's at one of these like church business meetings. And so someone comes up to him after this, after it, and they're like, hey, how are we doing at making disciples? Like, I, I didn't, like, where, where is it in, like, the all, the like, dashboard metrics that we kind of shared? Like, how are we doing at making disciples? And the pastor, like, lovingly looks back at um, this church member, and he says, we're doing as well as you are at making disciples. Like, that's how well we are doing. Like, whenever you are personally doing well, at making disciples, then we as a church are doing well at making disciples. In essence, like that's similar to what Paul is telling Timothy, but not only Timothy, but you and me tonight. Commit to faithful men. What he's saying is you, you're the ones that make disciples. You are the ones that multiply. You're the ones that pass off the goodness of the faith that you found in Jesus Christ to other men and women and children that are in the life of your church. This is your ministry. He's saying, take it up. Take it up. This is what we want to do. Multiplication is to be the natural overflow of the Christian life. When we think about what our purpose is in life now, it's this, that we make disciples. See, it's not only that we should like share the good news with other people, this gospel that's such good news that Jesus came down from heaven, walked heaven and earth. He lived perfectly. He died in your place. We're not to just share this good news with other people. We're also to help them understand what, it look, what it's to look like in putting on the life of Jesus as we walk and live in this world. This isn't just like a, a hope that's way down the road. No, this is like 
a new way of life that God has invited us into, that we get to walk with Jesus here and now, not just with God himself, but with other people that have placed similar faith in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul is saying here to Timothy is, hey, this, this good faith that you've learned, this good gospel that you have, you are to know it. It's supposed to seep down into your heart. It gives you assurance. But look, we also want to live like Jesus lived. It's the best life that you can live here on earth, this fullness of fellowship with God here in life, but as well with other people. This is what you want. This is what you desire. This is the thing that makes us feel whole as we live this life, that we live in relationship with God and other people. Hey, help people know what it looks like to put on this life. This is your life's work, that you make disciples. Now, as I'm sharing this, like, is, uh, I, maybe you're like me. This is what I kind of feel inside. I, I'm, I'm a pastor, and I still kind of wrestle with these feelings. But there's a lot of different thoughts. There's a lot of different doubts that run through my mind. And so let me anticipate and try to speak to some of these thoughts or doubts that may be running through your mind. All right, so here's the first one. Should show up on the screen. Isn't that the pastor's job, right? Making disciples seems like the pastor's job. Like, what are, what are you doing? right? Like you speaking to me. Well, then what are we doing here? Like, aren't you the one that's supposed to be making disciples? Like, isn't that what you signed up for? Isn't like that what God called you out to do? Like that you, this is like your life's work that you go and make disciples? Well, in one sense, yes. In one sense, yes, this is my life's work. But look, it's not because of my vocation. It's not Andy's job because of his vocation. This is because we're just Christians, This isn't like something that God has specifically said, hey, all right, now you do this for your whole entire church. No, yes, we make disciples, but it's not because of our vocation. It's just because we're Christians. This is the life work of being a Christian. And so we step into this. Here's what the real actual call of being a pastor is. It's to help equip you to make disciples. We see this in another letter that Paul writes to a church in Ephesus. This is a, a church that's in Asia. Um, here's what he says. And he himself gave some to be apostles. This is Jesus who gave the giftedness. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Look, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You know what he goes on to talk about? about the church, that each one, that as they're doing their work, that they're being built up in the fullness of Jesus. Meaning that each person that's a part of the church, as they're stepping in and making disciples, what their work collectively is doing is bringing about this fullness of the experience of the gospel here in this life as the church. So look, What Paul is saying here is, yes, every single one of us, including myself, has the call to step in and make disciples, but primarily, like, what a pastor's job is to do is to help equip you to do that. And look, we're trying to do this, all right? We're trying to do this to the best of our measure. We're trying to do, when we think about our Sunday services, we have you in mind. When we're thinking about the series that we're doing, we're thinking about the songs that we're singing, we're thinking about the words that we're putting up on the screen that we read aloud together. We have rhythms in the life of our services. All this is done because we're trying to help build you up in the gospel to step in as the weekly rehearsing of the gospel takes place in your life that you can kind of regurgitate it to other people as well. 
That's part of the work of what we're trying to do here in the service. We create other spaces. Why we have discipleship groups. We're trying to get you into spaces where you can have deep relationships with other people, but we have resources that we're putting into your hands. We have the New City Catechism that we're working through together. We have a Bible reading plan that's taking us through. We have five questions that we're trying to work through that when you open up the Bible yourself, that you have questions that you can wrestle with the text, that you can understand what God's trying to speak to you. Like we're trying to place these things in your hands. Because we want you to be equipped to go and make disciples. But look, the, the way that we're going to be, like, make disciples best as a church, when we really step into this, is whenever each one of us owns the ministry of making disciples. When we take seriously this call that Jesus left his disciples to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We as a church holistically are going to be best at making disciples when we individually take up this call to really see other people come to faith in Jesus and put on this faith in this life in Jesus. All right, so that's the first one. Here's, the, here's another one, right? That passage only mentioned men, right? So commit to faithful men. Aren't women to disciple or be discipled too? And this should be an emphatic yes. Absolutely. This is not excluding women. What Paul is doing here is he's trying, this is his last letter to Timothy. He's in prison. He's asking Timothy to come visit him as he thinks he's towards the end of his life. And so what he's saying is, hey, raise up other pastors Leave this stuff with these pastors who can then step in and minister and pass on, disciple other men in the life of the church as well. Do this, raise up these men so that you can come to me. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy here in this passage. And he's not neglecting the idea that women are to also be discipled and disciple makers in the life of the church. What is actually really interesting here, though, is his whole elder development process, when he's thinking about raising up pastors, is basically discipleship making. That's what's really interesting about this whole thing. But in another letter, Paul steps into this idea that, yes, women are to step in and be disciple makers as well. As he wrote to Titus, you see this in chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. He says this, in the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not slave to excessive drinking. But look at this. They are to teach what is good. What is Paul speaking of here? He's saying like, hey, What is good is this goodness of the gospel, the truths that you know about the gospel and what Jesus has done for your life, as well as the goodness of the life that he gives you to live here now. You teach this. You instruct this. You disciple. What does he say? Um, Let me find where the passage is on my notes. They, They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women. So he's saying, hey, look, those of you that are mature, embrace those who are new in the faith. Women, discipling other women in the life of the church. Yes, you are to step into this. Again, making disciples is for all Christians. This is something we're all called to step into and do. So absolutely, this is something that every single one of us, no matter what gender, we are to step in and making disciples. And then the last one is this, all right? This is the one that I really feel. I can't do that, right? It seems really large, This is a really big call. I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to even start. I don't even know if I have the skill set to step into this. Now, if you're feeling this, like the thing that I want you to know tonight is like you're in good company. 
Because Paul is addressing Timothy in verse one. We skipped to verse two right out of the gate. If you go back to verse one, Paul's sort of addressing this with Timothy. So if you, if you look at chapter one, Paul's sort of working through with Timothy. Um, he's in Ephesus, he's in Asia. And so Paul is bringing up a lot of different names that Timothy likely knew. And he's saying, hey, all these people deserted me. Like the, the going got tough with them in their walk with Jesus and they bailed. Like they got out. There's only one person that really stuck with me and he's basically writing like these blessings over them and then he immediately transitions into chapter two and here's what he says in verse one. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So from this verse as well as other verses that we see Paul write to Timothy in the previous letter, 1 Timothy, that is what we usually call it, um, it seems that Timothy is prone to doubt Doubt in himself as well as the skill sets or the abilities that God has given him. This is something that Paul constantly is having to encourage Timothy with this call in ministry that God has placed on his life. Hey, no, like, do you remember that time when we like laid hands on you? Do you remember that time that God called you out and called you and set you forth for this? He's like, hey, look, remember these things. You have what you need. He says this, he says to Timothy, be strong, look, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Seems like Paul, Timothy is saying to himself, I can't do this. I need to wait until God supplies some extra thing for me to step into what you're calling me to do, Paul, in making disciples. And Paul is writing back and saying, no, you've already got all you need. Everything that you need in order to step in and make disciples, God has supplied you in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, this isn't just a word for Timothy. This is a word for us here tonight too. Here's what we know, all right? To come to faith in Christ, we need two things. We need knowledge of the gospel and we need the grace of Jesus Christ. And so this is exactly what Paul is telling Timothy. You have everything that you need because you have the truth of the gospel and you have the grace of Jesus Christ. And with these things, you have all that you need to step in and make disciples. You have an understanding of the Christ's work and your need for that work in your life, that you were a sinful person and that Jesus came down and he did everything for you that you could possibly need. And by placing your faith in him, he's now made you a child of God. You are 100% completely cannot be ripped out of the family so assured in your faith in Jesus that, hey, this is something you step into. This is something you live with. This isn't something you have to worry or doubt about. Nothing can pluck you out of his hands. You have 100% assurance, but also you have the grace of God. And this grace is not something that just makes you a disciple of Jesus, but also strengthens you in order to step in and make disciples as well. That's what Paul is telling Timothy here in this passage tonight. And he's also telling us, for that are wrestling, that are doubting, that are questioning, if we have the ability to step in and do this, he's saying, no, you have everything that you need. You have the goodness of the gospel. You have the grace of Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. And so step in, step in and make disciples. So look, here's, here's kind of like the application question for us, all right? So last week, 
if we were wrestling with growing and maturity together and the questions were, who am, I, who am I growing with or who is discipling me, who's sort of stepping in, who am I locking arms with in this life that I can share and be vulnerable and sh- like really lean on as I'm trying to live with Jesus in this life? The application question for us tonight is then who am I to disciple? See, the, the hope here is that there's like this simultaneous that someone's investing in you, but at the same time, you're investing in someone else. The process here is not that you just wait till you get all that you can from whoever is like speaking into investing in your life. And then when that's complete, then now you can go and step into it. That's not how the life of a Christian works. We constantly need people that we can lock arms with, that we can grow in maturity together. But look, that does not neglect your responsibility to still step in and disciple other people. So here's sort of like what I want you to think about, all right? There's like multiple dimensions of your life, all right? So you may have someone that's investing in you in one dimension, but elsewhere in a different dimension, you're still carrying this call to make disciples in your life, this call to be a multiplier, you're still carrying it. So here's five of them, all right? So I don't have them on the screen. If you want, you can like write them down or you can, maybe you're just like an incredible memory person and you can just remember them, all right? I tried to make them as easy as possible. They have shuns at the end, all right? So the first one is location, like where you live. Maybe you have like neighbors that you've built really close relationships with, people that are looking and hungering to know what it looks like to read and devour God's word. Step in. The second one's vocation. Maybe God's placed you in a workplace where you share workspaces with people that maybe don't know Jesus, maybe are new to the faith, maybe growing and maturing. At one end of the spectrum, you're stepping in to disciple or someone's stepping in to help like speak into your life. The third one is recreation, like where you play. It can be the gym, it can be a local park, it can be multiple different places where you go and enjoy your hobbies. Who has God placed you around? The third one, restoration. Where's brokenness around you? Where's God calling you to step in? to lift up your eyes and see the brokenness that's around you and you step in. And the last one is multiplication, the next generation. One of the, like, one of the softballs for making disciples is the kids that are in our homes. Like, what's your plan? What's your plan to step in and pass off the faith to the next generation that you invest in the kids that God gives you 18 years with in your home? What's your plan? What are you doing to step in? Maybe if, for those of us that don't have kids here tonight, look, we, we have other kids that need a third voice in their life. Look, mom and dad's voice often gets drowned out. I can't tell you how many conversations we've had in our home of like, hey, we just told you something. Did, like, did you hear me? Like, I can't tell you how many times there's like, hey, bro, like, I, we have all boys, so I can say bro to my kids, right? So, like, bro, did you not just hear the instructions that I told you? Like, I, I told you, like, 20 minutes ago, five times to go up and clean. Like, we need third voices that are in our kids' life. So maybe it's stepping in and being intentional with the kids that are here in the life of our church. The question for you is, who am I to disciple? It's not a question of if, but who. So who are you stepping in with? So if this is the first step of the process, that you you make disciples. 
than the second one we find at the very end of verse two, all right? So here's the refresher and then I'll share what the point is. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men, look, who will be able to teach others also. So if the first step in the process for us to be a church that multiplies the multiply is that you commit, that you make disciples, then the second step in that process is that disciples then make disciples. All right, so notice this with me, all right? Look how many generations are in this verse of disciple making in just a matter of a few short words, all right? So you have first Paul. Paul himself is the disciple of Jesus, right? Like he was lost. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, called him out of the former life. He's now a disciple of Jesus. What a, that's the first generation. So then look at the next one. You have Timothy. Paul has invested his life in Timothy. That's the second generation. Then what is he what is Paul telling Timothy to do? Paul is saying, Timothy, commit to faithful men the things that you've heard me teach in the presence of many witnesses. That's three generations. But what are they to do? You're to find these men that are able to teach others also. So you have Paul who's made a disciple and Timothy. Then you have Timothy who's to make disciples of other, other men. Then these other men are to then go and teach likewise to other men. You have four generations of disciple making that are in, within this one particular verse. Do you see it? So it's not just, hey, you commit that you make disciples, Timothy. It doesn't stop there. No, Paul says, you commit to faithful men, who then can in turn teach others also. So look, if the question is, when do we know that disciple making becomes part of the culture and the life of our church, it's this. Is that not whenever it's just that we pick up and we personally are making disciples in our own life, but then our disciples are then making disciples, that's when we know that disciple making has become a part of the culture. It's been ingrained. It's part of the DNA of Storyline Church. I want this all over the place. I want this all over our church. Like, I want us to think about it in every sphere that we possibly can, both in our life as well in the, as the corporate life of our church. I want, this, I want us to think about this when it comes to, like, the places that we serve. Like, who are the people that I'm serving shoulder to shoulder with? Who am I raising up to come and do this type of ministry alongside of me? When we think about like our community groups, when we think about like our discipleship groups, who are the people that are kind of rising above the surface for me? Who are the people that I need to draw close to that then can, as we grow as a church or as we grow as a group, can then multiply out? Who am I investing in? Who am I working with? Who am I doing? Who am I passing off like some of the responsibilities to that then can be shared and expanded in the life of our church within your own home? What does it look like for me to like help my kids to grow up and mature or the people that live next to me? What does it look like for me to invest and like pass off the faith? What does it look like within my work? Like I, I want, you want to advance, you want to step in, you have bigger aspirations in your current role Then who are you coming, who are you bringing alongside? What does it look like for you to like develop and raise up and train somebody to like step in and do this work 
as well. Like this isn't the first time that like someone had the idea of having a multiplication culture in the life of their church or even their organization. You have multiple examples out there. You have like the military. They're one of the best at this, right? So many examples you can go read about. You have places like GE with the CEO, Jack Welch. There's this story upon story about how he recruits these talented individuals that came into GE and whenever they grew too large for their role, then he like sent them out to other Fortune 500 companies. Like these are multiplication DNA type of organizations that multiplication is just like embedded in them. But here's my favorite one, right? So this came from one of the churches that I worked at. We were doing this church building um, renovation, like $1.5 million where we have like all the stuff that's going on. And there's one particular team, general contractors are kind of a nightmare to work with, right? <laughs> but there was one team that stood out to me out of all of, of working with all these different teams that came in to do work in the life of our church. There's one particular team. And what we did is we had tile like this, that's all over this space. We ripped it all out and we had a, or that we didn't rip it out. They came out and did this. We hired a team that came out that ripped out all the tile and then they stained the concrete. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen these in different like restaurants and stuff. And so um, they come out. It's in the heat of the summer, y'all. So this team comes out. There's this glass top ceiling roof in our gathering space. So it's in the heat of the summer. They have to turn off the AC at the very top where like of the glass. They said it was close to 200 degrees up there. So they're like, they're the hardest working team that I see that I saw come through our facility throughout the months that we did renovations in this facility. And as they were doing it, they were working hard, they had a great attitude. I was like, man, this is like an impressive team. There's like eight guys that are coming in just doing all this work. They had different roles. They knew exactly what they were doing. Like they knew how to get in, get the job done. They did excellent work. But the thing that stood out to me is I ran into them during their lunch break one one day whenever they were out there working. So um, we had these flower beds that uh, I would go out if I needed like to just get out of my office and move around and go like pick weeds out of it. And so they're at their truck and they're eating their lunch. And I'm overhearing their conversation. And so supposedly, here's kind of how their organization works. It started out as like this small little company. And as they got more and more jobs, they got more and more contracts, they multiplied one of those teams as they hired more people that learned and un, like learned from someone that was over them that then they could go do that same responsibility with this new team that was being multiplied off of them. And so they're talking through the work that's happening in the life of our building. And the guy that's over all of them, I guess he's like the team leader, he's talking to one specific guy and he's like, man, I want you to take my job one day. I want you to be the one that's doing the work that I'm doing now. And he wasn't speaking it as like a way of threatening, right? He was like, hey, this is an invitation. I want you to learn. I want you to develop. I want you to lead this team because there's this already this in the DNA of the life of the organization, this idea of multiplication, that as they got more contracts, as they did more and more good work, that they would get more work, they'd multiply the team, and then he would go and start a new team. And like, look, this is, I think, the picture that Paul's placing before Timothy of like, hey, I've discipled you. You're going to disciple other people. And then as you disciple those people, they're going to go and do the same thing in turn. He's like, this is the big vision for the church. This idea of multiplication is not addition. That's the vision for the church. It's multiplication. It's not that we add and we add and we add that we have all these new people. No, you multiply. You, you invest your life in someone else who in turn invests their life in someone else who in turn invests their life in someone else. And look, here's my desire that we do this so well, 
that it's so embedded in the life of our church that we multiply and we multiply that then as the overflow of the multiplication that's happening here, we can plant more churches who then have the same DNA that they raise up and they multiply and they make disciples. And as their church grows, they can in turn go and just, this is the vision. This is what Jesus left with his disciples. This is what he leaves with us. This is what Paul's working through with Timothy, that we are a church that multiplies to multiply. So look, here's my question for you. Who's next? Paul's not just saying like, hey, you look at this next person, like, and then it stops. No, he's saying, like, this is the continual way of life and the life of the church. That you, who am I discipling? Who's next? And it's embedded in those that we're discipling as well. Like the idea is that you are multiplying. So who am I discipling now? But then who's next? That's what stood out to me with this team that came to our Sojourn J-Town that's doing the work of the concrete stained floors. That's in essence what he's asking. Who's next? Who's next? Who am I raising up? Who's going to take my job so that I can go and multiply and do something? Who's next? And kids, and media, and our hospitality teams, music teams, preaching. This goes for me as well. Like, who's next? Who's the one that we're to invest in next? As we disciple people, we're asking the question, who are you going to disciple? Who's next? And look, whenever we get to this place that we have like the third and fourth generation, then we'll know that this is a part of the DNA of the life of our church. All right, so let's close with this, all right? I just wanna, or hey, before I do that, you had a card in your seat when you came in. The first opportunity that you can do to step into this, all right, is we have a discipleship training, discipleship group training that's happening on March 9th, all right? So here's where we're at in the life of our church. We have six discipleship groups right now that are all at capacity or overflowing at this point in time. And as our church is growing, we've been around, this is our fourth month, all right? And we already have groups that are already busting at the seams. If we're gonna be a church that continues to grow and make space for more people, we're already at the place where we need to multiply, all right? And so we're, what we're gonna do is this is not like a high-level training, all right? What we're trying to do in our discipleship groups is something that I promise you, each and every single one of you in this room can do if you have, a faith, if you have faith in Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. So what, here's what we need, all right? For just like an hour to hour and a half on a Wednesday night, I need you to come and to learn the vision of our discipleship groups and basically step in and kind of do a rehearsal for a discipleship group with us so that in turn, we can then multiply our discipleship groups within the next six months. So I need at least five men and women that can come to this training that can be raised up and be ready to multiply a discipleship group within the next three to six months, all right? So this is your first opportunity, all right? So let me close with this, all right? So envision with me, all right? Let's try to put like the last three weeks of this series together, that we initiate relationships with all people, we grow in maturity together, and then we multiply to multiply. Let's try to put all this together, all right? So imagine we're three years down the road. It's three years down the road, all right? And you know those commercials that like somebody's walking through and they like have somebody and they go and they talk with somebody and they go to talk to somebody else. But as they're going to each individual person, they have like words that come up over their head of like who this person is or like a conversation that's going on in their mind. You know what I'm talking about? 
You know, like, so envision, like, <laughs> I get ahead and no. Well, try to, try to go with me. All right, so uh, imagine you're the person that's at the front door. So as you're walking in, we had somebody that was at the front door welcoming people in, all right? So imagine, like, as this new person that's coming up, this is, as they're walking up, they have words that come up over their head of, like, they got an invitation, all right? This is our year of invitation, right? Year of invitation is so this person comes up, they got an invite. They come up to the person that's at the front door, the front door person welcomes them, and the words pop up, I was invited two years ago. So they're now in this place where they're leading, they're helping lead our hospitality, they're introducing them, this person, they're walking them through the building. As they're walking them through the building, you have the table where all of our welcome bags are at. As they come up to the person that's behind the welcome bags, the words pop up for the person that's introducing the greeter that was there. This was their discipleship group leader that was here three years ago when they first started coming. So those words pop up. They, they get the welcome back. They walk through. They're coming into the auditorium. As they come into the auditorium, then she, this person, let's say it's a girl, is introducing this newcomer to other people in the life of the church. And as they're walking around, it's like popping up. This is, the, this is my community group leader. Or this is the person that, um, that I, I, I is discipling me right now to go then in turn be a discipleship group or discipleship discipleship leader, group leader in the life of our church. That pops up. Then you come up and you see someone, this is, this is my neighbor, the person that I invited. They came two weeks ago. Then you walk up and we have a church planning resident that's here that is at the front that's about to preach and he's getting up. He's sharing the vision of the life of the church. That comes up over the top, top of his head. You have all these different places where it's like they were invited or they're in community group together or this is my discipleship group leader or th- like I'm now a discipleship group leader. These are the people that I'm investing. You have like all these images, all these words that are popping up with ways that you see our core values at work and then you have someone that's standing up that's about ready to go start a new church in a strategic location here. Like, this is what I think we can be. If we take seriously that we multiply to multiply, that we initiate relationships with people here in our community that God has called us to, if we step into relationships with one another, I think these words, we won't see them, but I I think these words can pop up three years from now. We're going to see the work, the fruit of all of the culture that we're trying to build here. And that we'll see that we multiply to multiply. But look, it starts here. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. That you make disciples. And then disciples make disciples. If we do this, we'll be a church that multiplies to multiply. Let's pray.